Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. It's not like it. Hey, welcome back to the Gonzo Chronicles. This is your host, Cyrus Alderwood. And tonight we're going to talk about something really fun. We're going back in time. Because I went back in time last week. The guest we have on tonight, Rob Mahoney, also known as God's Gift to Women and the inventor of the carburetor, when I read on Wikipedia. Hey, Rob, thanks for coming on to the show, buddy. How you doing tonight? Good, Cyrus. How are you? Uh, just living the dream, having a cold one, you know. Anything we can do to get by. It's right. It's Thanksgiving week for anybody listening. Today's November twenty first. We're about a couple days away from Thanksgiving. Rob, you ready? What do you got? What are your plans this week? Uh, I get to get off from work, which is good because uh, last year I worked uh, during uh, Thanksgiving. It kind of sucked, uh, but. You know, I'm going to be here at my house with my family, and we got some people coming over. So, you know, we're just r- arranging the refrigerator so everything can fit. And, and you know, the the craziness of Thanksgiving, getting everything prepared is the hardest part. Yeah, that is, man. It's uh, thankfully, yeah, we're not doing this here where I live, where I'm going to my sister's, and we're probably going to have 20 plus people there, I think, this year. And three dogs. So, hey, I'm looking forward to really hanging out with the dogs. I'm not kidding. Like, you know, those are my little buddies. But uh, no, it should be a good time, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to breaking God's law with that whole gluttony thing. Um, Which, you know, that's a weekly, <laughs> that's a weekly occurrence these days. But uh, no, it should, be a, good, uh, should yeah. be a good time, man. So hopefully everybody that's listening has a, has a great Thanksgiving. And hopefully you're getting together with friends, family, and and uh, have a good time, man. It's uh, this is one of my favorite times of year, really. I really just like the meaning behind. I think every day should be Thanksgiving in a way because uh, you know, just being grateful for all the good stuff we have. And hell, Rob, we're born in America, so we won the lottery right there. Yep. Uh, no, I I go away, I go with your sentiment about being thankful for every day we have because you know, yeah, you know, when you're younger, you don't realize. Uh, what a great gift that we have and then when you start getting older and start like your body starts telling you hey you need to start slowing down that's when you kind of reflect on everything that has happened to you in life whether it's been good or bad but you know you've always been around friends and family and there's no greater gift than being around that and you know i guess as far as the entertainment (laughs) world i'm still grateful that keith richards and rick flair have not drank themselves to death yet and we still get another year of Rolling Stones and the Nature Boys. <laughs> that's a that's a good times, man. 
Good times. Yeah. Hey, so yeah, tonight, Rob, what you talk about? Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was gonna just say, you know, reflecting on like people like Keith Richards and Rick Flair, you know, it's it's amazing that they they've been so great to us all these years. Like the memories, and like when I when I get like sad about things, I I reflect on my memories the most. And you know, I, I like I said earlier, there's been good times and bad times, but I always try to these days I try to always focus on the good things in life, and. And every day I look out inside and I say, God, like, this is the greatest thing ever because, uh, like, my, my mom, God bless her heart, she's she's sick right now, <clears throat> but she's, she keeps fighting. And that, and I have my health issues too, but that inspires me to keep fighting, to keep this great God's uh, gift to us about being here and being with friends and being with family. So uh, everybody listening, uh, I hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving, and I guess we can go on with the show now. Yeah, and before I get into some dumbass rant, Rob, I started something. Uh, this was last year. I, st- I was reading this book, um, and it really sort of changed my outlook on things. And I got it. So at that point, I decided I took this 30 day challenge. I was going to get up every day, and I was going to write down 10 things I was grateful for. Not that I was thankful for, but grateful. There's there's a bit of a difference there. And that just carried on, like, to me today, even a year later. I mean, I went way past that challenge. When I wake up in the morning and I come through here and I grab a cup of cappuccino or whatever, I look outside and I, I, like, literally every morning I think about five things that I'm grateful for. It could be even, like, the littlest things. Like, you know, my uh, my nephew's going to be a father next month. So I'm grateful if this little baby's healthy or, what, you know, whatever, just anything. And when you start your day off that way, it's yeah. really hard for anybody to F your day when you're when you're already going into the day with a grateful heart and grateful spirit so that's um so anybody listening man i yeah. certainly encourage that <laughs> rob i gotta run something by you brother hear me out this may be the dumbest thing you all hear right. all week this really might be the dumbest well, i love this is not the, the, the tits again is it no we're not talking about tits <laughs> tonight um but we you know <laughs> <laughs> So I love Star Wars. I really do. I love like all things Star Wars. As a matter of fact, Star Wars was my first movie when I was three years old. I, rem- I vaguely remember uh, being there, but I know that was the first movie I ever saw at the theater. And, um, you know, I've watched all the stuff on Disney, the Obi-Wans and all the movie spinoffs and, you know, every trilogy that comes out. And I got to tell you, man, a lot of people, one of their favorite movies is Revenge of the Sith because of the, just the lightsaber duels themselves. Especially Obi Wan, yeah. right? When Anakin turned into Vader, so that was just yeah. a crazy badass scene. And I'll admit, you know, that was a that was a heck of a fight. Anakin was quite confident. Obi Wan was lucky; he was the one that did the backflip first and got the high ground. And uh, yeah, you know, hacked off three of Anakin's limbs and you know, lit him on fire. But I started to think about this, you know. He could have saved the galaxy a lot of trouble if he had just went down there and finished the job. Anakin was already missing a, an arm and two legs. What's he going to do? He's on fire. He's already mad at yeah. aviation. Yeah, he's too busy trying to put the fire out to use the force on him. So why didn't he just go down there and do that? No, he has to run. And Yoda, as bad as we thought he was, gets beat up by Palpatine, and who we've never yeah. seen lightsaber duel till then. 
So just when the galaxy needs them the most, these two people, Yoda and Obi-Wan, these so-called tough guy heroes, they cut tail and run. They go hide. Anakin, yeah. Obi-Wan goes and hides for 10 years, afraid of Vader because he knows Vader's looking for him. Terrified, you know, that Obi-Wan series. And I'm thinking, yeah. dude, he went 10 years afraid of a man that's uh, afraid of a one-legged man that smells like bacon. Really, that's the best Obi-Wan can do for the next 10 years after that fight. And then uh, yeah, Yoda living there there in the swamp, you know, and I thought, you know, what would I was thinking back to that scene when he hacked off his leg <laughs> standing there. What would John Wayne have done? No, we know what the Duke would have John done. John Wayne would have walked in. What would uh, what would Clint Eastwood have done? Clint Eastwood would have walked yeah. down there and lit his cigar on him and took his stole his boots. That's what that's what Clint Eastwood had done. But no, these two guys. Yeah. So the more I think of Obi Wan and and uh, Yoda, maybe I'm just getting salty in my older years. But now I'm thinking they're a couple of deserters. I'm glad uh, Luke and Leia had some balls. There was only five of them left. They still went and fought the Empire. True. I mean, I, I used to I used to chalk it up to the fact that like all the all the Jedi were killed in Sith except for uh, Obi Wan and um, and Yoda. So I was thinking it was more of that. Like, let's try to regroup and like uh, build for the future instead of tuck tail and run. But you know, it's a valid point. Like, if they wanted to start an arm like a new Jedi army right away. They could have done it right away instead of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, so yeah, I, I I get your point about that. There they are a couple of deserters in a way. I think they should have probably finished. Uh, obviously finished Anakin, but you know Pal Palpatine really did get away. So you know he's he's already planning for the future. Palpatine is always on top of his game when it comes to game plans, and I think that maybe. Obi Wan and uh, Yoda just kind of were like, what's the old saying? Like, like uh, sitting in the breeze, you know, like kind of just chilling and and not really planning for the future until Luke came along, obviously. And then, oh hey, let's let's get back in the game now. It's like yeah. Obi, you're like three thousand years old now. Like, you yeah, can't like you can't help us. Yeah, you can't help us. Like you can you can help train me, but like. You're not really a help in a fight, and you know we kind of find that a little different because you know Obi Obi knew once he got was destroyed, then he would actually become more powerful because he could actually still communicate. In the but no, I get your point. Yeah, I was just thinking if you had to put like you know Yoda and Obi Wan, and then John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, we know who the pussies are out of that out of that. Yeah, movie. and yeah, that's all I'm saying. I just, could be wrong, but I'm still gonna watch. I'm gonna watch those every time they come because they're binge. They're binge worthy. But you know, Star Wars came out in 1977, but the other two movies came out in the 80s: Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And yeah. tonight we're gonna be talking about not big blockbuster films, but uh, we we do uh, re film reviews on your show, Rob. So we're gonna do one here tonight, uh, and we're gonna talk about some of the most underrated movies of the 80s and 90s. And uh, that that's a that's a big difference. There's um, I looked this up. I just pulled this up while you when we started to zoom here. I want to run down the top ten most the highest grossing films of the '80s, and all these underrated movies kind of like lived in their shadows. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom came in at number ten. 
Rain Man came in at number nine. I was surprised about that. One. Top Gun came in yeah. at number eight. Uh, we this one we just reviewed. Back to the Future came in at number seven. Yeah, uh, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of Lost Ark came in at six. By the way, that was the best out of the trilogy of the franchise. I think. Um, uh, quickly, quick, quickly though, uh, that was my first movie I went ever went to see at the theater was Raiders of the Lost Ark. The, uh, man, does that ever get old to you? I mean, can you still watch no. that to this day all the time? I can still watch it. Uh, and what's funny, we were just talking about Star Wars, and both of them have the one common, uh, Harrison Ford. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, to me, to me, Raiders of the Lost Ark is Harrison Ford's crowning achievement. I will, I will stand by that. I, you know what? I, I think you're right. That that may be my favorite Harrison Ford movie. Um, yeah. Guess what came in at number five? This one shocked me too. But you remember Batman from 1989? Yeah, and I, I I love uh, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton is my favorite Batman. I'm gonna stand by that too. Uh, let's go back to Harrison Ford at number four. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. That wow, was from 1989. Yeah, that beat uh, the other two. Wow. Yeah, but I'm not surprised that all three of those made the top ten. Um, yeah, Star Wars: uh, Return of the Jedi came in at number three. Uh, Empire Strikes Back came in at number two. Can you guess what num- the number one movie of the decade was in the gross receipts at the box office? I'll say ET. You're right. You nailed it. Um. I actually I saw ET with my dad. Like my dad wasn't 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 much of a movie goer, uh, but I, that refresh my memory. He that came out in eighty four, right? Uh, it came out in eighty two. Okay, so I was eleven years old. Eleven year old uh, Father Mahoney, <laughs> and uh, I kept begging my dad. I'm like, well, we need to go see this. We need to go see this. Finally, like he he give because my, my father had visitation rights, so. Uh, I went to visit him, and we ended up seeing the movie at the theater across the street. Ironically, <laughs> and uh, okay. I I love that movie. Like, yeah, you know, that year it looks like it made seven hundred ninety-two million. Wow, that's a lot of that's a, for for nineteen eighty-two. That's a chunk, man. Um, that is. Oh, here's a little interesting tidbit about uh, I I love that movie. That was one of my first ones too. Um, when I was a kid, I, I loved. I actually, I made my mom and dad take me two or three times to see that. Um, Harrison Ford actually was in E.T. in the original version, but he had a real small role, and they they cut it. He got removed, so they removed it from the movie. Um, it was just like a little cameo. Um, but they they yeah. they figured wow. anything from him would help at the box office. Um, but Spielberg decided to go ahead and remove it. And... Uh, but that was, I mean, probably a good call. You didn't need him to overshadow some of the other actors, you know, because he, yeah. he was coming off of uh, Empire and, um, and Star Wars and, of course, you know, Indiana Jones. But, it, um, yeah, but anyway, yes. that was a little so fun. Refresh my memory that that little, that little uh, list you put, the top ten of uh, grossing films, Harrison Ford was in five of them then, right? Uh, yeah, if you, if you don't include E.T., he was in I see episode, uh, see the two Star Wars, Jedi and Empire, and then the three, All three. Um, yeah, Indiana Jones. So he was in five of those movies. So wow. that, I mean, that just tells you how big of a star he was in that era. And, and talk about underrated. A lot of people, when they talk about actors, don't usually bring up Harrison Ford, but there's the proof right there. Yeah, and there's you know, he has proof. such a, it's not just the action films. 
this guy's got such a wide range. I've seen like regarding Henry and all yeah. these others. Now, as big as Tom Cruise was in the eighties, he was only in two of those. I liked yeah. Witness too. Witness, was Witness, good. that very underrated movie, wasn't it? Yes. Um, so, so, so these underrated movies, they sort of live in the shadows of these top, top grossing films. And I think the eighties, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, Rob, but I think the eighties probably was. Hollywood's always been big, but I think the 80s changed a little bit because they were always looking for that summer blockbuster. These big, yeah. huge hits, like, especially hitting the teen and young adult audience. Like the um, We were talking about the Lost Boys. We talked about Top Gun, um, the Goonies, uh, Ferris Bueller, Breakfast Club. There's, these big, iconic films of the 80s. Yeah. There are a lot of really good ones that did okay, but like very underrated, and they sort of lived in the shadows of the rest of this. When it comes to the 80s, what are, what, what are you... Uh, what are some of the ones you have on your list of underrated films? Uh, well, I I have a list of uh, my my top ten, N- not necessarily in order, but I also have like a couple of ones that just missed the list. So a couple of days ago, I was uh, I was going through my Roku and I came across Adventures in Babysitting, and oh. I forgot how good that movie was. That was like a it's. Film. it's yeah, it's a cheesy film, yes. Is it a little contrived? Yes. But, man, I, I just kept smiling through that whole movie because that we, we talked about memories earlier before we, the movies. And, man, that brought back some great memories of, like, uh, my, the innocence of my childhood and everything and having a babysitter because, you know, I wasn't always an adult version of me. You know, I had babysitters in the past. And, you know, I, I remember a conversation I had with one of my babysitters after this came out. And I thought to myself, like, man, man why can't I have that kind of adventure here? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, in the same vein of that movie, that was such a good movie with uh, Elizabeth Shue. But do you remember um, yeah. License to Drive? It had the two Corey or one of the Corys in it. Um Corey Haynes. Oh, I think it was. I would think it was both Corey. Oh, both maybe it was. But that was so. That was sort of yeah. in the same vein of that. And then uh, there was another where uh, Corey Haim was no, it wasn't Corey Haim at all. Um, like father, like son. There was a slew of movies that came out around about the same time that were sort of like that. Do you remember those? Hey, I think Rob froze up on me. Hey, there you are, Rob. Yeah, oh. yeah. The, the, the screen went uh, black for a second. Okay, did you hear what I was saying, though? Yeah, about like father, like son. Yeah, I'm going to tee that up to you, and I'm going to grab a fresh beer. I'll be right back in about two seconds. All right. Go ahead, man. So while Cyrus is, so while Cyrus is gone, uh, let's just talk about um, the innocence of times back then. You know, when you watch these 80s movies, and we'll talk about 90s too, but like when you watch these 80s movies, if you grew up during that time, it wasn't just about the movies. It was about the music. It was about the style. It was about the the innocence of your youth. I mean, I, I want everybody who's listening to, to close their eyes for one second. And think about something that made you happy during the 80s. I guarantee after you think about this, you'll be smiling about like the memory that you just came out with. Because I do that a lot. When I'm when I'm sad, I think about reflections and I think about something that that made me happy once in my life. And I always go back to the 80s. Yeah, that was such a gosh, it was such a good time. You know, it's like when in that yeah. like father, like son. 
when uh, he finally got brave enough there at the end to punch the kid that was the bully, as soon as his fist hit his jaw, yeah. you remember the song that cranked up? Wild Side by Motley Crue. Yeah. So it was the soundtracks. Yeah, soundtracks are big. The commercials are big. The merchandise was big. And the 80s, people didn't just accessorize. They accessorized with an E-X-S, <laughs> like accessory, like excessive. Yeah. And we talked about the hairbands once on this show before. And that was me. Like, I wanted to be one of those rockers. I wanted to be one of the hair rockers, long hair glitchy style all the girls are after you like that to me that was like that would have been heaven if i could ever pulled off a hairstyle look so oh, yeah you know, i mean uh, that's that's the end point. one of one of my underrated films uh I've got, I've got about 10 or 12 here but one of my underrated films um you know batman came in at number five it had michael keaton michael keaton was in a really good movie um, it was very serious role, but it was way underrated. It's called Clean and Sober. Do you remember this one? Yes. He was a drug I do remember that one. He's a drug addict, alcoholic. Um, life fell apart. It was about him trying to get clean and then falling off the wagon, get clean, falling off the wagon. And what kind of an asshole jerk this guy was. But he really wasn't at heart. And it was like yeah. he had to get all that off him. That that was like one of the most I think my first really serious movie because a lot of drug use started to accelerate in the eighties, especially hard drugs, cocaine, um, yeah. heroin, crack. Uh, and there were some movies that actually addressed that. Another underrated one that I didn't have on my list, but was um Bright Lights Big City. We mentioned this on your show, uh, with Michael Keaton. Yeah. Also, and and um less than zero. I don't know if you remember that one. Good uh, Jamie Gertz. Good movie. And it, it dealt a lot with uh, Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man, right? So Iron Man was in this, and it, it had a lot to do with uh, just those times. And but the music again was all about the fashion and the and the music that really ex- just um, hung on to the movie and what it was about, like a like a perfect accessory. And that, I think that's missing. Well, I, I I think one of the most underrated songs, if you want to talk about songs for one second, is in that Lesson Zero, Hazy Shade of Winter by the Bengals. Because uh, yeah. the Bengals were known as like more dance, but that yeah. was kind of like a more darker side of the Bengals. Yeah, and, they were fun, pop, yeah. Walk like an Egyptian. To me, like, that, was it. that was that crowning achievement. That song set the tone for that movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and you talk about... Uh, you talk about Robert Downey Jr. Another great like some so many movies had Robert Downey Jr. back then, and a lot of them he was he was more of a background player. Like Back to School, he was a background player. But every time he came on the screen, like he delivered like no one no one else could. Yeah, and that that movie showed how good of an actor he was. And in real life, he had the monkey on his back too with drugs and alcohol. Yeah for, for yeah, quite a while true, so. and he had to bow out of Hollywood for a little while get clean and then when he came back he, he roared back you know his comeback in the 2000s which I thought was an, yeah. you know, an amazing achievement of his because I'm thankful that he wasn't another one of those Hollywood uh, you know heroes of ours growing up that died because we saw yeah. a few of them that just they partied themselves to damn death and it's sad to see but but I'm, I'm glad like his River Phoenix remember him 
he was yeah. he was a yeah big star in the in the eighties and just uh, uh that's for anybody that doesn't know River Phoenix that's Joe Quan Phoenix's big brother actually yeah so he was a uh, well can I can I use that as a segue to my next pick then absolutely as I open a cold stand by me love that movie stand by me because this to this day is the best coming of age movie ever. Yeah, I'm going to stand by that too because such great performances all around. But man, of them all, Ripper Phoenix was dynamic. Yeah, like ops, absolutely dynamic in that movie. Yeah, and like he really has he had that bad boy. Yeah, he had that bad boy like personality, but he had a heart of gold, and he showed both through the whole movie. And of course, you know the monologue towards the end about how he died. That is something like his character definitely would have done, trying and to he ended up dying for, for, for trying, to, trying to stop a fight. Yeah. So to me, like every time I watch Stand by Me, and I probably watch it at least once a year, easy. I I cry every single time when I find out what happens to his character because he he has so much potential, and he has so much heart that he died because of that heart, really. Yeah, can, can I can I tell you a personal story? And I, I don't know if I've told this on the show before, but that movie has such a sure. very personal personal impact to me. Um, my big <laughs> sister, uh, she listens to the show sometimes. I don't know if she listens to this. Her name's Tammy. And uh, when Tammy and I were growing up, we, we really loved that movie. And when that song came out again in the 80s, we kind of like, that was just sort of like our song, you know, me and my sister. Yeah. And uh, when, when she got married, she went on her honeymoon to, I guess, New Orleans. And uh, the in-laws lived down there. So she ended up, uh, they ended up moving. And I, there's my big sister. Like, I see her every day. What She's disappeared, right? I missed yeah. my sister terribly. Now, this is kind of, goes back to when I was 16. When I got my driver's license, my sister gave me, when she gave me a present, she gave me a quarter. And I know that sounds like, what's well, cheap, right? Now, she gave me a quarter because she's like, Jason, she's like, listen, I've been there in your shoes. You're 16. You're going to have fun. Sometime you might find yourself in a situation when you need to call. And here's a quarter. And I will answer anytime you need to call. You know, and I'm like, wow, you know, this is when pay phones, we still have pay phones. And that meant so much to me that I held on to that quarter all those years. And when my sister got married, when I had my summer break in college, me and a couple of friends, I was like, guys, I'm driving down to Louisiana. Do you guys want to go? And like two of my buddies like, yeah, hell yeah, we're going. Right. Cause you can do anything at 18 down there. So we drove down to Louisiana. Yeah. And I, just, I missed my sister so much. And I was so glad to see her, just make sure she was okay and all this because, you know, little brother, I was always still like protective as hell. I just want to make sure she's okay. So I get down there and the day that I'm leaving, I said, I had a gift for her. And um, I think I'd given her the soundtrack to Stand By Me, the movie, because that was sort of our movie, you know. And every time I'd hear that song, yeah. I think of my sister. And same today, when she hears it, she calls me or records it and like, plays it and sends me a text. I had that quarter, same quarter I gave back to her, and I said, now you're a long way from me. So if you ever need to call, I'll be here. And that girl busted out crying. Nice. But that's a little personal thing, but it was that was one of the more – memorable moments of my life and uh but yeah and it was all because of this movie 
And uh, was yeah. it under? Was it a great yeah. film? It did okay at the box office too, but it was in the shadow of a lot of great films written by Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I called it underrated because you know when you name off Stephen King movies, yeah, you might end up getting to Stand by Me, but it's usually not the t- top picks that come out. A lot of his horror stuff comes out. Oh yeah, but a lot of people forget that Shawshank Redemption was Stephen King. So, um, I would have tossed yeah, that on my. Me. I would have tossed. I was going to, say, I was going to toss uh, Shawshank on the the '90s thing, but there's no way that movie was underrated, man. That. That no, no, no. Yeah. no, I will go on record say that's probably my, my go to movie when I when I need to be entertained. That is that is my go to movie, uh, Shawshank. Um, so there's a uh, here, here's a here's a comedy. Uh, we talked about Top Gun, and the guy who played Iceman was Val Kilmer. And uh, yeah. I'm glad he's still around. I did a little tribute to Val Kilmer in one of the past Gonzos. It's like I'm getting tired of like celebrating people when they die. Let's talk about this guy. And uh, yeah. but he was in this movie, funny as hell, called Real Genius. Do you remember this? I do. That was great, I thought that great, was incredibly underrated. Yeah, but it's one of those guilty pleasure movies. Anytime it's on TV, and I own it, but it's like anytime it's on TV on some channel on Pluto or something. Nah, it's, yeah, I'm gonna stop and watch. I can't not stop and watch this movie. Yeah. No, that was a great film. Um. And I, I do love that it was uh, a different character for him than than like Top Gun would be, because yeah. Uh, yeah, I like I like actors that just show a wide range of acting and not just get put into that same like hero role or you know. I, to me, I, an actor is someone that can expand beyond, like Robin Williams. Robin Williams could do any any genre, and 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 do it well. Yeah. So like. To, that's what a good actor is. And I was glad to see Val Kimmer was able to do something more lighthearted, but yet still had a like like kind of an under undertone of seriousness to it too. Yeah, uh, fun, just a fun movie. Just, like yeah. it's like one of those Excellent. from the eighties, like Up the Creek or something that was really funny. Some of those guys that did National Lampoons that just yeah. didn't really get the didn't get the movie draw, you know, later on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here's one for you, Rob. I know you're going to appreciate this one. We had Michael J. Fox. We've been talking a lot about. Uh, yeah. Do you remember the movie Light of Day with Joan yes, Jett? Yes, I, I love that movie. That is a hard movie to find. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, it, I, here's a funny thing. It's actually on my, uh, my not my top. I brought up a top ten, but it, it was it was one of the ones that just missed my top ten. So, I, I, how is this movie not? wildly popular today like even a cult classic it's just so hard to find but it was such a great movie yeah and uh joan jett surprised me by her acting she she was very convincing as a as like the bad girl and i mean she does that like she has the bad girl image in the in the music industry obviously but to to be one in real life and to try to portray it on on a screen in front of like millions of people is a little bit different and you know i think it helped her that she was kind of the bad girl in music but she her acting ability was very good yeah um surprisingly so she was actually in some of the uh, highlander the series the tv series she was in a few of those i don't know if anybody knew that yeah yeah. i didn't know yeah i didn't know that i I wasn't big into 
Yeah, I usually watch comedies uh, mostly for TV. So, uh, so what else do you have on your list, Rob? Uh, here's another one. Everybody talks about like medieval movies like Conan the Barbarian and Conan the Destroyer. To me, The Beastmaster is one of my favorites. Oh, when I was uh, a kid, Mark that was Singer. Great. Yeah, Mark Singer was so terrific in that. And a uh, 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 TV man was in there too. John Amos from uh, from uh, Good Times was really? was that was the bodyguard. Yeah, he was the bodyguard. For the uh, young kid that um, remember, yeah, that's right. I do. I'm like, yeah, you have yeah. Jarvis Miller. Yeah. yeah, that was John Amos. So, uh, but it was a great, uh, great, great medieval movie. And I have another medieval movie on my list too. But um, that movie I thought was better than uh, the Conan series because a lot of people don't realize Beastmaster actually had uh, three movies. A lot yeah. of people don't realize that. Uh, like Beastmaster, I could have put Beastmaster two on my list too, but uh, I'm gonna go with the uh, King of All Beastmaster, the original. Uh, very entertaining, very um, action packed, like from start to finish. Scary characters. I mean, it had a little mix of horror in there too, with some of those like uh, like the warriors. They they were all like tainted, kind of in blood, and so. It, to me, I, I used to like watch this movie and the next movie I'm going to mention like repeatedly for all like years. Yeah, you and said sometimes another... I'll still. Try to... Yeah, my other one I was going to mention is uh, Dragon Slayer. Oh, to me, I that. yeah. To to me, Dragon Slayer to this day, I will go on record: the best dragon in any movie I've ever seen. Top top notch. Uh, and then you throw in Peter Peter McNichol uh, was terrific in this, and Sir Ralph Richardson, very senior actor at that time, was that was dynamic. Uh, so like, when I think of medieval movies, yeah, I'll watch Conan and Conan the Destroyer, but I always go back to these two movies because th this was my early childhood. Because Dragon Slayer, I, I believe, came out in eighty or eighty one. Uh, so I was like just getting into my double digits, like 10, 10, 11 years old. I lived for these movies. I lived for like any kind of adventurous things. And that's why Indiana Jones was Raiders of the Lost Ark was my first movie because I was into that action stuff. This was way before I became super horror fan. So like I grew up with all this stuff and. You know, to me, I'll, I'll still watch Dragon Slayer, and I still get shocked on how great this dragon is. I mean, like if if you haven't seen it in a while, people out there, revisit. It. And when when that scene when you get introduced to the dragon, your mouth will fucking drop. And can I say effing? <laughs> um, I don't care. I don't believe it. I don't believe no, it. It will it will drop. drop in the, I will it will drop in into the ground. I guarantee. If if I'm wrong, message me at Father Mahoney because I will take your criticism and I will accept it. But I guarantee you'll come back and say, "Oh my God, that is the best dragon ever." You know, uh, I'll get into a couple of my two or three of my biggest <clears throat> underrated of the '80s. But one I want to bring up real quick, uh, and we don't need to talk about it. But like River Phoenix was in a, not River Phoenix, but. Uh, uh, what's his name? The Matrix guy. Um, Keanu Reeves was in a movie called River's Edge. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. 
And uh, so if you haven't seen yes. River's Edge, worth taking a look at. I know it was one of those um, that's just kind of hard to hard to find. You never hear about it, but River's Edge is a great movie. Do you remember Tom Cruise in the movie Legend? Yes. That, to me, is one of the most underrated films of the entire decade. Fairy tale kind of thing. I mean, everything everything Tom, Tom Cruise touched back then was gold, though. Like, I mean, he still has that touch, like, with uh, Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, but, like, everything in the 80s and even early 90s that Tom Cruise touched was gold. Very underrated actor, if you want to say that, too. Uh, because yeah. you know, I'll get into another, uh, Tom, my Tom Cruise pick later, but there's another movie I'm going to mention that his acting got so overshadowed because of someone else that people don't realize how great of a character this was. Um, I'll, like I said, I'll get, I'll, we'll finish this movie first, but yeah. Tom Cruise has something about him that just drew people to him. And Legend was another one. Legend was another movie that, like, oh my god, like, how is this guy not winning awards right now? Yeah, I mean, it's a fairy tale kind of movie. You know, he played Jack, like the I don't know, kind of like the jungle boy <laughs> kind of guy, and uh, the princess loved him, and, and then he led her to a unicorn. It was very dark. A lot of dark undertones in that movie. Um, yeah, yeah, despite it being more of a fairy tale kind of thing. <laughs> but there's a couple others that uh, part two of my, and then I'll get into my last one in a bit, but like. Um, Body Double was good, but do you remember and, and then Black Rain, that was also another one of my underrated. But two that have to be near yes. the top of the list, They Live and Angel Heart. Well, I, before you start, I have They Live on my on my uh, list too. So. Okay. Um, yeah. what, what do you think of so Angel Go ahead. Go ahead and get that. What, what, what do you think of Angel Heart? I've only seen Angel Heart a couple times. I know it has De Niro in it, and it has um, the girl from The Cosby's. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I, yeah, I don't have much recollection. I know that there's some steamy uh, parts in that, and I know there's some great performances by, there's some, by both of them. But yeah, I, I don't some, really remember much about it. Well, let me jar everybody's memory on this movie. And I know this is – a lot of people have still haven't seen this. this is Mickey Rourke was the star of this. And uh, he's a yeah. war hero from World War II. He's living in Brooklyn. He's a private investigator. And this guy by the name of Louis Cipher comes to him with his attorney. And they're looking for a guy by the name of Johnny Favorite because Johnny Favorite still owes a debt to this Louis Cipher, which is Robert De Niro's character. Robert De Niro plays the devil. Yeah. And basically this, this guy, Johnny Favorite, sold his soul to the devil. And he's he's hiring uh, uh, Mickey Rourke's character to go track this guy down. So he tracks him to upstate New York where he was in a hospital. Apparently he had his facial reconstruction done before all this was popular. You know, it got really big. And then uh, and he would run a lot of the blues circles, like in the blues music circles. And jazz. Yeah. So he follows him down to New Orleans, tracks him down to that area where um, he meets, uh, I forgot her name, but it was what's her name from the Cosby show? Like yeah. the oldest, right? So she went on to that show, uh, uh, A Different World, right? So she was in that. Lisa, 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 Bonet. Bonet. Lisa Bonet. 
Lenny Kravitz yeah. wife. I can remember that before I remember her name. But anyway, um, in the discovery <laughs> of trying to find out who Johnny Favorite is, he has a lot of lost memory. And of yeah. course, Vicky Works character, he comes to find out he is Johnny Favorite. And the devil has come to collect. The devil's come for his due. He couldn't take his soul until he realized who he was. Yeah. And uh, and he does this horrific crime at the end. He doesn't realize how violent and evil he really is. And um, uh, anyway, just underrated movie, such dark undertones. And if you really want to get yeah. twisted and macabre, you go to New Orleans at any decade. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, that to me, like anytime that movie is on, I'm going to stop and watch it because the acting was superb. And despite having Robert De Niro in it, Mickey Work, who were huge in the 80s, and Lisa Bonet, yeah. that thing went so far under the radar at, Holly, at the box office. Um, it was one of these that went out, didn't do well, and went straight to VHS. Yeah. Great film. Highly underrated. One of, one of the most underrated of the entire decade. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I have a pick that might shock some people because they're going to say, no, that's not underrated. I think it is. Because not only is it a great horror movie, but it's a very underappreciated horror movie. And only because of like all these franchises that try to rule everything, Friday the 13th and Halloween. And I'm not dissing on this. I love them. But um, to me, An American Werewolf in London yes. is the best, most underrated horror movie in history. Uh, very, very underrated. Well, because I mean, that transformation scene to just like the dragon and Dra dragon slayer, that transformation scene for the werewolf, top notch, and it's all practical effects. Yeah, and like, that was so much more raw with those effects, too. Yeah, CGI can't even come close to making that look the way that. Did. No. No, this looks like you're feeling his pain every time, like his, his, uh, like his, uh, body like twitches and like when the when the chin comes out you're feeling his pain because of his performance oh yeah and it's yeah to, to me that will never be duplicated again and it shows how much influence thriller had because thriller had a transformation scene yes and yes and a lot of people forget how good that transformation scene and it's the same uh director so um and, john and landis yeah and the uh, special effects guy um, that yeah. wasn't that wasn't Tom Savini, was it? Um, uh, no, it was uh, Rick Rick Baker. Okay, because you were watching. Yeah, he's a, he was a creature. Yeah, you're watching a master of his craft. Uh, no matter what decade that that, yeah. guy, that people have tried to recreate that, and they have never recreated it since. And that just, they've that never just come close to, to recreating. Not even not even in the ballpark, man. <laughs> um. That, not even no. on the same field. Uh, that, that just goes to tell you yeah. how like important that movie was in the development, not just horror films, but special effects. Um, a lot of people came along and wanted to be that guy. Tom Savini might have been one of them, and he's a he's great. He's amazing what he does. But um, but that was I might I might butcher this line. I might butcher this line, but it also has one of my favorite like scenes, uh, funny scenes, and when. Uh, when David Norton's character is naked in the zoo, and he's like, he calls the little kid over. He's like, "Mom, a naked American stole my balloons." <laughs> 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 <Naked man. laughs> 
I laugh every time. And, and you're not supposed to laugh at this movie. It's supposed to be horrific. Like they, someone said, oh, we cancel culture today. He wouldn't be able to do that. And I'm like, screw cancel culture. Like, it's funny. Yeah. You can't like culture. Put- yeah. Yeah, yeah, cancel culture is like nothing but cultural communism, man. That stuff can suck my yeah. way. And uh, but uh, you said you had they. Li- oh, before I get into the lay the um, uh, Night of the Living Dead was also as far as you want to go into horror. That was so campy and funny at the same time that I think that yeah. sort of was a little underrated in the horror genre back then. Yeah, yes. Uh, oh, you're talking about the '90s one, right? Yeah. Oh, the nineties one. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. And uh, one of the few times I actually could say that I enjoyed a remake as much as the original. I, I didn't say it was better, but I still enjoyed it because if anybody knows me out there, because I've been on the show a few times, I'm not one of those guys that likes remakes. There's a few exceptions stop. here and there. Yeah. yeah. Few exceptions here and there, but but Night of the Living Dead, the nineteen ninety version was very entertaining. Hey, uh, jump into so, They Live because that had uh, Rowdy okay. Roddy Piper. Well, yeah, I mean, anybody knows both of us. We're wrestling fanatics, so when I heard that Piper was going to do a movie, and he, since then he's done a lot of movies, but this was my first experience seeing him at the theater, and. That movie is so much fun, uh, but it gets you thinking. There's there's a little undertone there about like subliminal messaging, and that's something that's still kind of relevant today. You know, you, they put these signs on billboards today, and they try to get you to like, what if there really is something uh, in our minds that are controlling us? Well, and so maybe we're not maybe we're not robots. Per se, but we're robots in another way. We're we're, we're feeding to the system, yeah. and I think that's what is relevant to me today about this movie is because it does have that. Like when you wear the glasses, you see conform, you see like all the things that we're being controlled by. So it gets me thinking sometimes that was oh. it, this movie was way ahead of its time. Very much, yeah. It's almost like we're all wearing rose-colored glasses, and when you take them off. You see the world for what it is. You don't necessarily like what you see, and th- and that because um, yeah. he puts the glasses on and looks at a billboard. It says "Obey, Consume." You know th- yeah. all these all these things. And when you when you think about it, with not just subliminal. Th- I mean, we all know there's subliminal messaging, but subliminal advertising. If you look at what Google does today, how many times you went to your Facebook page? And something you were thinking about or mentioned to somebody else earlier suddenly shows up as an ad somewhere. On your yeah. social it's almost like they're reading your mind. And yeah, it's like rolling where like they feed, lead. They're trying to feed into your, they're trying to feed into your curiosity now. Yeah. Because so, you will just research something on Google and they transform it to other mediums and like they throw it in your face now. Like this, hey, we know you're looking. We know you're looking. It's it's scary in a way. It's, yeah, it, it really it is. is scary. So I think he was onto a lot of that stuff. That movie was onto a lot of that that we see today. That's really playing out because uh, that that bothers me. The advertising. It's not like we're we have a choice. It's like we're being led. It's like they know what we're thinking before we think. When you type in yeah. something on Google, 
it pre-fills out what you're looking for. It's like, oh, yeah, and you just hit enter when you're halfway through typing. It's, I'm not comfortable yeah. with that in our culture and uh, with our technology. Uh, but they use it because we're consumers, and that's all we are to these systems, so to speak. Yeah. And it might, it might actually have one of my my best fight scenes ever, too. That fight scene between him and his <laughs> buddy was epic. That's better than most. You don't usually see. I've ever seen. Yeah, you don't normally see long fights in movies because it's they're like, oh, it takes up too much out of the plot. No, it was perfect, perfect timing for that scene. So, uh, what else was I? Gonna, I I mentioned something about. Uh, hold on, let me look at my list. Go ahead, keep talking until I can find it. Well, I was gonna um, bring up the last thing. The last movie uh, that I had on my list, and before we jump into the '90s, was a. Uh, do you remember John Ritter from Three's Company? Yes, uh, he was in a movie that one of the funniest comedies of the '80s uh, came out in 1989. It's called Skin Deep. Now he was never a stand-up comedian, but his oh. physical comedy is absolutely hilarious. And most people I talked to have not heard of this movie, and it was absolutely just to me one of the best. Movies of the '90s. If you like comedy, go see, go watch Skin Deep with John Ritter. Yeah, I like. I, I I've only seen that movie maybe a handful of times, maybe th- three or four. But I remember that movie was really good. Uh, John John Ritter was such an underrated actor, though. Too, you know, everybody always oh Three Company, Three's Company. Like he did more than just Three's Company. Like give the man his due. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, what else do you have in the eighties? We'll jump into the nineties. Well, actually, I I just did a list of like a combination. So like most of mine are actually eighties, okay. but I think this I think this one might be on the cusp of 80, 89 or ninety. You can you can look it up if you want. The Burbs. Oh, great film! One of my that. favorites. Yes, Tom Hanks. Yes, uh, Tom Hanks when he was still kind of in the zany era before like he started doing a lot of serious acting, but. This movie, like, he was very amazing in. And I actually really enjoyed Corey Feldman's character a lot, too. And, like, like I was that kid that, like, when something was uh, going cool in my block, I was proud to be there. Like, so, like, I could totally relate to his character in this movie. And it, a lot of people call it a comedy. But to me, it's almost like it has a little dark horror in there, too. You know, the evil next-door neighbors, are they really sadistic? Are they really... You know, and Clovex buried the bodies in the backyard. (laughs) And that movie had me convinced through the whole thing that they were actually good people being misjudged. That ending, when it's finally revealed, sorry for the spoilers, anybody listening, but I was totally shocked. Like, holy shit, they were right all along. (laughs) I swear to God, I like Carrie Fisher was in that movie too, Star Wars and Princess Leia. She yeah. was Tom Hanks. Yeah. Watch. I swear to God, I feel sorry for yeah. the woman that ever marries me because I'm like Tom Hanks in that movie. Every time somebody goes by, yeah. I'm like, oh, I wonder who that is. Where they're <laughs> I'm like that, that guy in my neighborhood. Yeah, I am like, I am yeah, like and we've all had. But the thing is, we all could relate to to this neighborhood too because if you ever lived in the burbs, and yes, the burbs is a real term, um, then you always were suspicious of the new people, always. 
Like, I wonder what they're like. I, will, uh, I wonder if they're good people. So we all could, like, relate to this movie if you if you grew up in the Burbs. Because you, you, uh, to people in the Burbs, they, they feared change. Everything had to be the same every day. So whenever a new person moved in, it kind of shook the neighborhood a little bit. We're all watching you. Like like this neighborhood, they were all watching the Clopex. So like I totally related to this movie growing up because that was me and my family. And a lot of my neighbors would, would have done the same. You know, like kind of oh, suspicious yeah. of the new, the, the new family. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Hey, Rob, before we jump into the 90s, um, I'll, I'll roll through the top my top 10 you got you got some there too and i know you will probably might have a couple that are on the on the same you know a couple of the same movies i want to do a quick pause the audience will not know this but i'm going to pause real quick on the recording all right rob so let's jump to the 90s uh let's talk a little bit about this crazy movie by stanley kubrick called eyes wide shut do you remember this one I've, i've seen it but it's been a while uh, it's uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, right? Absolutely. They got booked for this yeah. movie because Stanley Kubrick insisted on having a real-life married couple play the role of this married couple. Um, ironically, their marriage was coming to an end, and all of the, uh, I guess they channeled all their aggression toward each other out in this role. How they sort of split yeah. up and broke up, and Kubrick was uh, notorious for like he he did The Shining, and uh, was it two thousand one, right? So he did that. So he was he was yeah. notorious for these kinds of movies, but um, there's so much subliminal stuff in that. If nobody has seen that, or if you've seen it, and you want to go do a YouTube search for like uh, hidden meanings and eyes wide shut. Oh my God, you'll find tons of videos. Crazy stuff. But to have two megastars, yeah. this did very subpar at the box office. Um, you have to yeah. wonder why. I remember I didn't do that great. Because um, I, I, I didn't go see it. Did you? No, I didn't see it. I, I didn't see it until it came out on a video. Uh, yeah, and then, and then it was years after that. Like I, I probably didn't see it until the mid-2000s. And it came out in uh, 99, so it was probably like six, seven years after it even came out before I even got around the box of this thing. But underrated, for sure. Excellent film with a lot of like really dark, uh, some seriously dark undertones, especially if you're a conspiracy theory fan. Um, worth checking yeah. out. Very much worth checking out. I know my nephew was a big fan of this movie when it came out. Like he uh, he bought the video and he would watch it at least like twice a week. So, <laughs> well, there was some nudity in there. Maybe that's why. <laughs> so who knows? Probably. Uh, Nicole I mean, yeah. Kidman, she was she was looking quite nice back then. Um. Yeah. There were a lot of uh, really. We, we, oh, go ahead. No, we we talked about this on my show. Uh, uh, Nicole Kidman being in. Uh, uh, dead calm like i knew right when i saw this movie that she was going to be like one to deal with because she was a, a terrific in that movie oh yeah and you know a lot of, 
and talk about underrated movies. There's another one with Billy Zane, but Nicole Kidman, this, I believe it might've been her first or second role. And you could definitely see how good her performances were, how her body movements were. She, she could really make you believe that she was um, scared at all times in that movie. But with the uh, eyes wide shut a little bit, like a, a different movie, she, she's like another one, kind of like Robin Williams that I mentioned earlier, who can play a lot of different kinds of uh, roles and, and get you convinced of that character. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we could do the whole show on Robin Williams because man, that, that guy, there isn't enough that you can say to appreciate that guy for what he brought to film and entertainment in people's lives from like through three, four decades. Um, yeah. And then all the while struggling with all the stuff he was struggling with that nobody knew that he held inside. But um, yeah, so I, I guess as far as I guess this is kind of a kind of a off the cuff question here uh, for you, Rob, and I'll, I'll I'll just ask this: You know, the '80s when it transitioned into the '90s, music changed. We we talked about that how it went yeah. from a lot of like pop rock and glam metal to, and even some of the darker, harder metal. But like metal took a darker tone, <clears throat> then it like morphed into like rap metal and new metal and yeah grunge and just like the, the musical landscape took a little yeah. bit more even though the fun music and pop music was there it, it was still it was there was a different feel and a different vibe to that whole decade and i yeah just i'll just throw that out there how did that translate into the movies i think it uh just yeah, i think to me it affected the funness of the movies because and the, once the 90s hit, a lot of things were, were starting to get taken more seriously. And um, the fun movies of the 80s, they they kept saying they wanted to uh, translate that to more like where kids can be helped in the movie instead of showing them how to have fun and party. So to me, it, it took a more serious tone. And I didn't find 90s comedies as enjoying as the 80s because they were trying to make it more serious and Ed, educate kids more than let them just be kids, if that makes any sense. Yeah, in, in a way it does, because <clears throat> yeah, the ones who did try to go back and recapture that old vibe, like American Pie, was a huge success. And it sort of yeah. went back and sort of captured that sort of party, have fun, you know, the world be damned kind of attitude. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, to me, American Pie is, to me, American Pie is more of the a uh, newer version of of uh, Porky's, because uh, Por Porky's was all about raunchiness, having fun, having a good time, not caring about like what's going to happen after your high school. Yeah, it's typical high school high school hijinks. And to yeah. me, America Pie actually re did finally recreate that. It was one of the movies that yeah. did break through and did take a more comical tone to it. You know what it reminded me of a little bit was uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High meets uh, Animal House, like you know the yes. National Lampoons kind of movies. Um, and, and and no, I'm not saying that uh, American Pie was underrated. It was absolutely not. That was a big hit. Yeah. Um, yes, but when you're right when it comes to other things that were supposedly comedies. I know that. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you had some funny things like Big Daddy. Anything that some of the Saturday Night Live guys were in. 
Yeah. Okay, but they were but they were different too. Like they were they were sort of different too. Like even when you look at Wayne's World, which is a huge hit in the nineties, Wayne and Garth yeah. were sort of a little bit grunge when you think about it. And yeah. um there was a which I think is probably one of the biggest underrated movies of the entire decade, came out in ninety two, uh singles, uh, and that was a great film. But remember that movie Reality Bites? I think that came out in like ninety one, ninety two, ninety three, right around I think there. it was ninety one. Um, yeah. it had one owner writer for Beetlejuice, which she was big in the 80s. And uh, but yeah. you know, when you see movies like that, you see a different, I guess, we it's so weird. Like when I graduated in '92, I lived through the 80s and went to every hair metal concert that there was out there and enjoyed like everything. And then when the 90s came around, I went to college and it was like I went into a new era too. So I kind of like straddled both of those, and it was. I don't want to say it was yeah. weird, but in a way, it, <laughs> culturally, it was weird, and I, and that that's I mean, the movies had a kind of a different cultural impact in the nineties. And I think uh, you know, you talk about the uh, biggest transformation from the eighties to the nineties was a lot of the Brat Pack wasn't involved now in the nineties. Uh, yeah, you never really saw Molly Ringwald maybe here or there, but like she never had a major role in the nineties. Uh, um, Michael, uh, Michael, uh, Anthony Michael Hall was was sort of still in the mix a little bit, but once again, he wasn't as funny as he was in the '80s. So to me, like, I used to adore anything with the Brat Pack, anything, yeah. like no matter which actor, which actor it was. Um, but there was one actor I think that might it, it was either a late '80s movie or an early '90s movie that I find very underrated. Was John Cryer in Hiding Out? Yeah, that, uh, I totally forgot about. Yeah, that. <clears throat> yeah, remember he was like, uh, he had evidence against uh, someone. He had to hide in a high school, and like he's not. He was like thirty years old, and then yeah. like, like one, uh, someone like one of the high school girls started falling in love with him, and he's like in that like weird position, like because he's now like the old man because <laughs> because like he's a 30 something year old in a high school yeah i thought uh, that movie was very entertaining. it really was yeah. it's like it's like our gen xers sort of grew up and uh kind of like they lived they took the rose colored glasses off and saw the world as it sort of was and some of the roles that they took yeah. were a little darker a little meaner you know what i mean because yeah. when you talk about yeah. When you talk about our, our rat, a brat pack, I mean, when you look at uh, Keanu, or not Keanu, but uh, um, let's just face Billy the Kid, right? I mean, he went into some darker yeah. roles. Emilio uh, Estevez. Emilio Estevez. And Charlie Sheen, too. Um, yeah. Even though he took some fun roles. But, yeah. um, Charlie Sheen did some darker roles in the in the 80s with like, the Vietnam stuff and and uh, after his dad yeah. did the apocalypse now. But it's like they started taking some very different roles, and you, you started to see the world in a little different light through their eyes and then the younger generation that came up that is, you know the little older not a little younger than us but saw some of the same things that transitioned and they were seeing people in the early our our heroes sort of taking those dark roles and they took it a little darker in the later 90s i think when it comes to film yeah and there's another movie i believe it was might, might have been before the 80s uh but uh michael j fox did a war movie called casualties of war and yeah. I I find this very underrated um, as far as a war movie goes because you know it's not as brutal as something like maybe Platoon or uh, those other Vietnam movies. But this was 
uh, it showed that Michael J. Fox had a range because everybody knew him, obviously, as uh, Marty McFly and Alex P. Keaton and well, and all the fun yeah. secrets. Yeah. Secret of my success, like, but this was his first really big crack at something serious, and man, does he pull it off! And a, a great another uh, brat pack, Sean Penn, was his uh, commanding officer, and I, to me, this is this was Sean Penn's best performance. I don't care what anyone says, Sean Penn showed that he could be like a mean son of a bitch. And this guy he he portrays is one me like like don't fuck with me I'm I'm in charge out here anything can happen to you and no one will know. Yeah. Uh, so uh, if anybody hasn't seen that movie or seen it in a while, revisit it and then tell me what you think because that movie like had me on the edge of my seat that whole movie. Um, there was a, <laughs> I, I'll bring up a couple of more here. I, I've got a list and I'll like read them off uh, so people can check them out if they want to know what's on the list. Or actually, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to read them all off. I'm going to put them on my Substack. Uh, that's a teaser. Yeah. Get your ass over to my Substack and subscribe. And I'm going to list them all from the 90s uh, as well as the 80s. I'll do two different ones. I'll put the link to our podcast in here. And uh, Rob, if you want to put a link to your show, uh, send me a link to your show, your your uh, Rumble page. I'll yeah. throw that in there, too. Um, but there was a couple that... Uh, our show. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I'm co-hosting it now. I'm sorry, man. I've come co-hosted, um, but uh, Strange Days. Do you remember Strange Days? Vaguely. Um, uh, the, the, the once it started hitting in like the early to mid nineties, I kind of phased out of movies a lot. Like I would check out a lot of horror movies more because I think horror movies. Kind of kept that momentum going from the eighties. Like it just became different horror, but it was still entertaining. So, like if it wasn't really horror based, I probably d- didn't watch it t- or at that time or until like much later. Yeah. Well, I'll give you give very kind of like a little overview of this. Strange Days is definitely worth checking out. It had Juliette Lewis in it. And uh, okay, that, that that already convinced me right there. All right, so. Um, <laughs> She had broken up with her boyfriend, but it got involved with somebody else. Essentially, what this is is the futuristic movie. Like right at the, it takes place in 1999, right at the turn of the century, even though it's still yeah. 95. And people had these things they would put on their head, and like if say, let's just say you put something on this little device on your head, Rob, and you start yeah. going out murdering people. And if let's just say that you're the kind of guy who that's your new drug, it's like. I don't, I'm not going to go out and kill but I want to know what it feels like to kill somebody. Well, you could buy this snuff device sort of thing, this upload, kind of like um, Johnny Mnemonic, but it was an upload into this device. You could put this on, and it would impact your brainwaves, and you would see exactly what that guy saw through his eyes as you go about doing wow. this. Wow. And it would impact all of your like, endorphins and your adrenaline and all this stuff. You're there doing it. And then, like, it's like blows your mind. You throw this thing off your head. Or if you're having sex with a beautiful woman or or, or skydiving, whatever. All this stuff is available. But it's not legal. Um, yeah. So uh, technology's there. But they catch a murder where they execute a, uh, a very controversial rapper. These, these police do. Um, and they try to hide it. 
and they're trying to get this to this one guy. It turns out his best friend was behind a lot of this stuff too. Um, and but it was such a how things are going to impact the culture, but the technology impacts the culture too. It was a very dark story of like this guy trying to survive the night on New Year's Eve without getting himself killed. Yeah, and and knowing he has this, these people are after his ass now. <clears throat> um, and uh, one other lady helping him, his bodyguard, so-called bodyguard. It was a great film. Um, there are a lot of like uh, a lot of underlying themes. I think is again, it was one of those heavy '90s films that you were not going to get out of there. Yeah. Pretty really good cultural themes. <clears throat> it wasn't preachy. It, it wasn't like you know woke shit, but it was it was really a good caliber film. And uh, uh, that I mean that was one of my top underrated films of the nineties. Well, for me, um, a lot of people may not say this is underrated because it did have a big budget, it did have a big director, but I think it went uh, kind of flew under the radar was um, Natural Born Killers. Yeah. To me, I I love I'm a huge Woody Harrelson fan, anyways. But like, not even I could prepare for how good Woody Harrelson was in this movie. And you brought up Juliette Lewis. That's that's funny that you brought her up because Juliette Lewis is one of my favorite actresses. And like everything from when, but when she was younger, even some of the, her newer stuff. I mean. She, she can't go wrong with me. So, like when you mentioned that she was in Strange Days, I'm like, okay, I'm there. But yeah, Woody Harrelson was great. Then Robert Downey Jr. We talked about him. Uh, this was kind of like a little bit of his comeback, yeah, because he hadn't done really much uh, in the '90s up until that point. So he was he was so uh, what's that old talk show that used to Geraldo Rivera? He was so Geraldo Rivera like it was amazing, oh, yeah. like he. And it talks about something that's still relevant today. How much the media loves like murder, violence, and, anything at all. Yeah, yeah, anything that can get ratings is for the media. And I think like he, this movie was so ahead of its time as far as that goes because nobody was saying anything back. Then. We all knew it. We all knew the media was influencing people, but no one would say it. Well, yeah. here comes this movie along that that puts it right in your face. We love murder, and I mean, to me, that that was the best part is exposing the media for what they are and what they've always yeah. been. So Take a look this, at your top-rated shows. Movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, no, I was, I was just saying, gonna say, like, go ahead, go ahead. I was just saying, some of your top-rated shows these days, Dateline, 2020. Uh, people watch that investigative discovery channel all the time. What are they looking for? Murder mysteries all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And here they were in this movie, putting Mickey and Mallory on a pedestal that this was like their main story. Let's, let's find out everything we can about them. And they were, they were almost sensationalizing murder. Yeah. Like the, remember the one interview in the crowd where like they're going, What do you think about Mickey and Mallory? And they're like, Oh, if, if we want to be just like them. It's like you're 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 going out there using kids' uh vulnerabilities against them, trying to say they wanna they want to kill people for a living. I mean, come on, it's and yeah. yeah, this this movie and it had great action. Yeah, there was some parts that were like kind of trippy and you had to kind of like figure out what was going on, yeah. but 
the performances by Juliet Lewis and and uh, Woody Harrelson and Robert De Niro. Uh, and let's not forget other great people. Let's not yeah. forget Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, who would ever thought, who would ever thought in a million years you would have a a pedophile Rodney Dangerfield like abusive husband? I mean, he pulled off that role like he was scary in that role. I know, and and to me, Rodney Dangerfield, yeah. the funniest man I think I've ever seen in my life. Hilarious, yes. yes. And, and when I saw that, role, yes, that movie, makes me nervous to this day. Yeah, and even when he's talking, like kind of funny. It has like a darkness to it, like yeah. you, they they portray like they're like on the sh- like a show like the Cosby Show because they have the people cheering in the background and and you, you get that dark feeling because because of that that they're sensationalizing television shows too in a way. Yeah, I mean every, so every show that you watch is a murder mystery or or something. And it's that that show, like I said, still makes me nervous to this day. And that one scene. Where he rationalizes murder as the only natural, pure thing. That to yeah, me yeah. was one of the most dangerous scenes in all of Hollywood. Dangerous yes. culturally. That, yeah, that, that whole interview, that whole interview was was pushed towards murder is good. And, if, you and, know, and that that delivery, that delivery that uh, Woody Harrelson, like that scene that you just talked about, I had chills. When you know when they they let's cut to a break and I'm sitting there I have goosebumps the size of mountains because I was like that what he just said is probably what every serial killer in the world is thinking and the media loved it that's the yes. sad thing they're the they're just as bad as the guy who did it and you know and I know this might be a little con- I'm going to say something way controversial <laughs> and I don't know this to be a fact but. I've seen Rob Zombie's movies, and if I had to, if I had to wager a guess as to one movie that impacted him the most, other than like old seventies style stuff, it would have been that movie and that scene. Yeah, I mean, because he takes murderers and makes them the good guys. Yep. And there was like so many different scenes that like really scared me, even like when. Um, Refresh my um, memory. The guy who uh, was in the fugitive, who, who's the warden in this in this one, um, him telling Jack Skagnetti, the cop, like basically, we're gonna release him into your custody and just kill them. Yeah, Tommy and, Lee like, Jones. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones, and then the uh, cop was um, the guy who just passed recently, um, Tom Sizemore. Yeah, uh, Tom. So. And, that's another thing people forget about this movie is how packed of a cast this is and how it flew under the radar to a lot of people. I will never know. Um, but, you know, anybody who wants a reality check on what the media really wants, watch this well, movie. Why, yeah. You want to know why every time there's, yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. You want to know why that's a true statement in media? Watch this movie. It is absolutely yeah. disturbing. Yes. And uh, very, I'm, I'm almost glad it wasn't a cultural phenomenon, but elements of it probably should be. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, and then I have one more I wanted to just mention real fast was we talked uh, briefly earlier about Gleam in the Cube with Christian Slater, which yeah. is a total departure of total departure of the last film. I just. But this was just one of those fun movies, you know, a kid on a skateboard who, you know, witnesses the murder. And it's it, it's really kind of a scary movie in in that sense. You know, a, a, a kid that is like kind of an outcast to people. He does have his little friends and everything. and But, you know, he's one of those kids that always is in trouble. So, of course, the police don't believe him. See, that was, in a way, that was me a little bit, too, because I was kind of a troublemaker when I was younger. And if I was ever in that situation, I bet the cops were probably like, oh, you know, we can't listen to this kid. He doesn't know really what, what's going on. Uh, but to me, this was a really good mix of comedy meets, meets like, adventure and action. So uh, anybody that hasn't seen this movie, uh, Christian Slater is absolutely great in this movie. So check yeah. it out. You know what movie I just saw within the last like two or three months that I'd never seen before what? was Heather. It had Christian Slater. Heather's. Yeah. How did I? How did that, a great movie. How did that not hit my radar? Like that was a great movie. I never. I can't believe I'd never seen. It. But uh, my yeah, and that's a very that's a very dark comedy. Very dark comedy. Oh yeah, and that was the thing about comedies in the nineties. They 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 took a dark turn. Took a very dark turn. Yeah. And again, Winona Ryder. Yeah, you you can't. Yeah. Winona Ryder is so underrated an actress. Yeah, I know. So for any of you Stranger Things fans, and I know there are millions of them out there, and I love that show too, go back and check her out in Beetlejuice. Go back and check her out in Heathers. Winona Ryder had a lot of great films. And she she was really good. She she just got out of the business for a while and I guess got the opportunity with Stranger Things to play a mom, which I think is probably strange for a lot of Gen Xers who partied their ass off in the 80s and like, all right, these are the roles I'm getting now. <laughs> like, I'm not used to that, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. um, my most underrated movie of the decade, uh, Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater. And uh, Christian Slater's you, on a roll right now. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who haven't seen it, this is a kid who's, uh, whose dad is, they just moved to a new town. His dad is the high school principal. He starts a new school. And... Uh, like he just notices like some weird things around the school. Like, why is this school so highly rated? They have so many problems here and nobody really wants to acknowledge it. Yeah. Well, this kid is smart enough and like good enough with electronics. He's not wasting his time with video games. He's a pirate radio DJ. And now he gets such, so popular with the kids among the high school to start to play his, they're recording his show and playing their tapes at school. And these tapes are going around. He's criticizing everybody in the school from the principal on down. And just like something's terribly wrong here. And it, it's such a fun movie. But it's at the same time to really hit some some things I think we started to realize in the early 90s about, I don't know, just acceptance of people and who they are. And, who you know, just it was it was a very. Like the the, the odd man out kid that can't be accepted because yeah. he's shy and all the, you know, and, and it was, but it was such a, a good, good movie. I think that the most absolutely most underrated of the nineties. Um, just like, I think maybe skin deep, I've been the most underrated of the eighties. This is one, if you haven't seen it, 
go get it. It was literally uh, made, it was released in 1990. So sort of, to me, that was like the bridge in the gap. Yeah. Uh, as far as what the 90s movies of that decade turned out to be and what the 80s were, this was like bridging the gap. And the soundtrack was badass. Yeah. Uh, for me, the um, uh, Natural Bone Killers was my number one for the '90s, but I still have two more I didn't talk about for the '80s. And oh, awesome my top there. two, my top, my top two. Well, number two would be, and a lot of people are gonna scream that is not underrated. It was overrated for years until people finally like caught up with it. The Thing, John Carpenter. You know, when, yeah. that, when people. When people thought about John Carpenter, it was always Halloween, 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 Halloween. But man, just fucking the thing, it, it terrifies you, this movie. It absolutely terrifies you because it's, it puts you in that situation of who can I trust? Who's the one that's the, 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 the bad guy here? Because it convinces you that everyone is and then finally when you find out who it is you're, you're totally blown away but it keeps you in that like it keeps you in that bear hug of like can we trust this guy can we trust this guy and it has such a oh my god like a terror atmosphere um i think it's john carpenter's best movie hate me all you want halloween fans hate me all you want because john carpenter literally scared the fucking shit out of me when I first saw the thing. I agree with you that I think it might have been John Carpenter's best. Uh, and, you know, yeah. because because with, when it comes to Halloween, it was doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. And um, not that they were not great, but um, that was different. To me, a true artist is somebody who can step outside of their comfort zone and do something else and do it really, really well. And I know it's yeah. still the same genre, but it was, a, it was sort of sci-fi-ish. So it's very, so it was yeah. very different than the Halloween type stuff, and and I thought I thought it was an amazing movie. The remake, the actors were okay. I think the storytelling lacked. If you wanted to compare the remake to the original, go for the original. Yeah. Um, it's uh, without a question. Now, I'm not shitting on the remake, but um, why? Why? Yeah. Because when you're trying to remake something like the thing, you are not going to live up to that standard. Like just there's some movies yeah. that should not be remade. And uh and yeah, my number great. one. Yeah. My number one is uh The Color of Money with Tom Cruise and Paul Newman. Well, how did I, I thought this movie forget was... that one? Yeah. That's, oh, that's been one of my since the day it was released, I saw that at the theater. I have loved that movie every year since. Um, it doesn't, and I remember I, earlier I talked about how Tom Cruise sometimes gets overshadowed in performances. This is one of them because oh, no, Tom no. Cruise is probably the best I've ever seen him in this movie because he has to go up against a heavyweight of Paul Newman. Uh, Paul Newman, yeah. for anyone who's a Paul Newman fan knows, this man can act. Yeah, I so, know a, like, lot of, a lot of our audience here is Gen Xers, probably younger. Maybe maybe some little, but I don't think any older generation. But man, I tell you what, like if, if you haven't seen Paul Newman's movies, go just go stream them. Um, no 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 slack to Tom Cruise here, but like 
you you don't it'd be like going up against uh who's the guy who played the godfather you know or sean connery or somebody there's yeah, some right. actors yeah jack nicholson there's some that are just like above the fray yeah and there's a reason why some do a lot of action movies like tom cruise great actor still in those movies but like when when you when you go up against like a handful of these heavyweights and and he's one of them like yeah he, he just um fast eddie felson man uh yeah i mean if anybody doesn't know the story of fast eddie felson you, you start with the hustler yeah the hustler great um, so yeah uh, uh so but of course that's not the era we're talking about right now but this is kind of like the 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 newer version of the hustler they say it's not considered a re, um a sequel but i think it is because it's it's past eddie felson now being the teacher of, yeah. of tom cruise and we talked about how great paul newman is but even paul newman was actually quoted saying this kid can act yeah and like, uh, he, to tom cruise because to to go against like like we what you talked about the sean connery's and the eastwoods and you know you have to like you have to be on your a-game and Tom Cruise is really on his A game in this movie. And uh, he's he's over the top in some parts, but man, like I, I, I applaud him. And I think he should have got a best uh like supporting actor or yeah. at least but, uh, some kind of award for this. And I think Paul Newman should have gotten an award too, because they both were fantastic. And it's it's just a simple story of a man t- taking another man under his wings, trying to win a tournament, but the scenes that they have together, I mean, top notch. Yeah. So anybody who hasn't seen Color of Money, please stream it, look look for it, and watch it. But watch but you know, The Hustler first. I, I think you take the cake on that one, Rob, because uh, <laughs> that probably has to be. I would, yeah, now that you talk, I totally forgot about that movie. Uh, but yeah, um, I, yeah, that's that's the winner of the night right there. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the Color of Money. So uh, like that, I don't, that, that over the, the over the top scene I was mentioning was the scene when he gets a hold of the baboozle. I think that's the name of the pool stick, and he brings it to that place to kind of show off. And he's uh, playing pool, dancing to uh, Werewolves of London. Oh that yeah, scene, that scene is priceless. Warren Zevon, Werewolves of London, and that's the only time yeah. I, I've never heard of Warren Zevon until that movie, and then I'm like wow. Then I heard lawyers, guns, and money, and like that movie. Like again, soundtracks and uh, the way that yeah. you use it. You know the um, yeah that that was a great song, uh, great soundtrack, man. great great soundtrack, great yeah. movie. Uh, yeah, that's I can't who played the girlfriend. I can't remember who played the girlfriend, but she was terrific too. She, she was a kind of a popular actress uh, too. Mary Antonio Masterson or something like that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, she was terrific in this too. Oh yeah, she was. She she played the strong, loving, but yet bitchy when she had the girlfriend, like tough yeah. as nails. Like I'm your manager. She, she knew what uh, Paul Newman was doing to create like the superstar of a of a up and comer pole player, but like Tom Cruise's character was like so naive and like always fell for the bait like when the scene when yeah. like paul newman is like caressing uh her shoulders and everything yeah. he's like yeah, hey old man get your hands like he 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 was so oblivious to what they were doing 
that it's yeah. like and then that was that was the scenes that she's like dude you just like fucked yourself out of a lot of money because of that like yeah <laughs> um yeah like he was trying to, uh, paul newman was trying to teach him and yet she was the student she was the one learning and she was the only one that could rein him yeah in, rein tom cruise's character in. yeah that so was really really great movie man good call good call i didn't even i didn't even think of that but i yeah man good call that's that yeah Dig it, man. Dig it. Hey, Rob, what's next on your show? How many how many shows you got left this year? Uh, probably one more show. Uh, I'm going to get together with, well, you and Paul and uh, talk about just doing a shorter episode because right now, you know, everybody's you know getting ready for Christmas and doing shopping and, you know, like we all have jobs and it's like, so I'm, I'm probably thinking about doing maybe like like a baby hour show talking about silent night deadly night at some point you know my favorite christmas movie i know everybody's always like oh well, we want to watch this and we want to watch all the the lovey w ones I'm, I'm a horror guy so like <laughs> we already did we already did our fun show with back to the future <laughs> yeah there's no there's no hallmark movies on your channel on your show man that's but uh now there's some some but uh the really important genre in the culture of America, I tell you what, but that's a fun show. So um, everybody, when you get a chance, go to Rumble or YouTube and look up as Father Mahoney's House of Horrors. Uh, or what is um, it? The channel you'll look for is Mahoney Massacre will be the channel name. And then if you go to the live area on YouTube, there's like videos, shorts, and then live Go on the live and that look up for Father Mahoney's House of Horrors. And that's all, all the shows are listed there. If you go to playlist, um, I have a playlist of all the Father Mahoney shows since I've started uh, on YouTube. So you can even revisit some older ones when I just did it by myself. Some older ones when I was with another another network. And obviously the ones since I've been with uh, Dognut Media. And I want to give a shout out to those guys too. The Dognut Media. We have uh, we have our own different kinds of shows. We have conspiracy shows. We have backward horror shows where they talk about a lot of things like like backward. And I don't think they'll mind me saying hillbilly-ish because they they they're hillbillies through and through. So uh, uh, then we have uh, me and Cyrus's show, Father Mahoney's House of Horrors. We have uh, like I said, the Jack Transmission. We have the Near Do Wells. Where Nancy Wells kind of talks about anything under the sun. Uh, it's a different topic every week. Sometimes serious, sometimes uh, things going on in the world. And then we have the Brew Crew, which is kind of a wrap-up show. The wrap-up show talks about all the other shows. Plus, they talk about a lot of uh, political things going on in the world. So uh, go to Dognut Media on Twitter. It's all one word, Dognut Media. Uh, or you can uh, just go to... Um, what is it? Uh, each of our channels. So I already mentioned the names backwards horror, uh, Father Mahoney's House of Horrors. I have my own uh, Facebook page. Uh, and then they yeah, do well as they have their own page. So you can find all the all of our networks on YouTube somewhere. Uh, and that's one other thing about the dog. I mean, it's it's a little different from a from a typical um uh, headquarters as you say like like rabbit and red would be or like uh skeleton crew all of our shows are independent like so they're not run by one person like each each show has their own run of the show so if you want to twist it up like me and cyrus did and do a comedy one week 
no one's going to give you yes or no. It, it, it's our decision. So that's what makes us a little bit different from other networks. Yeah, and thanks for uh, inviting me on to co-host that. It's, it's, uh, I don't always have a guest on this show, but it's, it's fun when you have somebody to kind of bounce thoughts off of. It makes the show a little easier, probably a little more entertaining yeah. to, the, to the listeners too. So, uh, so certainly appreciate that. Uh, so, folks, make sure you go there and subscribe to all those channels. And uh, if you get a chance, go yeah. to cyrusalderwood.substack.com and subscribe to that son of a gun because uh, I update that. It's free um, unless you want to get some of the locked articles. Um, I've been doing a writer's prompt challenge for the last 20 weeks. Some of the stuff I've been writing, I've been putting up on there. Some of it, most of it's free. Um, some of it I've locked a little bit for, for the uh, subscribers um, who pay. Um and other than that, man, just do me a solid. Go to Amazon.com, look up Cyrus Alderwood, find a book you like, and buy one. I'd consider it a freaking Christmas present. So, um, I'd, uh, I don't always promote the books. I, I probably I'm the worst. I'm honestly, Rob, I'm the worst promoter in the world. I've got some crazy fun books out there, and I have no idea how to market and promote. So it's all word of mouth. So you guys listening. Some of you have gotten free books before from like these little free book challenges. And I think we gave a couple of free ones away on your show, Rob. Uh, and maybe we'll yeah. do that for Christmas. Let's do another one for Christmas. Let's give yeah. another, let's give another book away for Christmas. Um, oh, right. way of Gonzo or something or, or something in the horror genre. I've got some, I, I, I've been in order. So I got some dark places and uh, bedtime stories for the terminally afraid. Some of the wildest horror stuff. You know, they're short stories. So they're fun. But uh, anyway, everybody, thanks again for listening to Gonzo Chronicles. Appreciate you guys. Have a great Thanksgiving. I'll be back to run my mouth again a couple times with uh, more before Christmas. And Rob, if you're not drunk, you know, or making some new invention in the uh, porn industry, you're welcome back. We'll talk about some of the movies or music. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, everybody, thanks again. <laughs> thanks again, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on down the road. Cheers. Bye.